everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And this day has been a weird one for me. I don't know. how How's your day been, Corey? This whole week has been so long, and I was done with it like an hour into Monday, so... Oh, ouch. You had a Garfield Monday. Um, <laughs> well, was, oh, the whole week was Mondays. Uh, listeners, fine, um, this you. is the podcast that Corey and I do where we have been trying uh, for three years now to <gasps> dwindle down our list of movies that we should have seen but for some reason just hadn't. Um, and we uh, we pick themes for every month, and this is February 2019, and our theme for this month is 90 Minutes or Less uh, because February is the shortest month, so we wanted to do some shorter films, which kind of works out because I also have some crazy stuff going on this month uh, for podcast purposes. Um, you know Sean, Corey, he tortured us with Medea, uh, Boo 2, Medea Halloween. We're not friends anymore. Well, Sean... I follow him on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, uh, challenge... Sean and I did a Take 5 challenge last February, where we challenged each other to watch five specific movies, um, and we, uh, the, the, at the time, the loser, there was, like, a stipulation, the loser was gonna have to do something if we didn't make it through all five or whatever. We didn't do anything like that this year, but we're doing a Take 6 challenge, and we're going to do it in podcasts instead of uh, required articles, but I, I think I still might write reviews for each of the movies, because uh, we, we worked really hard to pick movies that the other person has not seen yet. And so this week, I have to watch the new Suspiria, um, because that's the pick he did, is that he thinks it's bad, which, critically, it's been kind of mixed, so I'm hoping, like you, that it's going to work for me. Because I didn't like the first one so much, and I'm hoping that not the first one, but the original. Um, I'm hoping that this new version will just maybe fix the things that I had issues with. Although it's two and a half hours, <sighs> and that already puts a, a a little bit not not a guaranteed negative, but it does put me on the apprehension because um, the original is only an hour and a half. Uh, Holy heck! Yeah, so it's I, it's not supposed to be a, a shot for shot remake, or even um, it's not it's a reimagining of the the essence of it. I think so. Um, but then the good movie he picked for me this week, um, I keep forgetting, but I've been excited about it because it, uh, one of the, the actors in the film is Kevin Smith's daughter, uh, who I have no reason to be excited for, not, not to offend, but the only two films that I've seen her in so far, I kind, I like Tusk, but she's barely in Tusk. I hate Yoga Hosers, and I hate saying that because I am a Kevin Smith fan, and I wish I loved all of his movies. Unfortunately, Yoga Hosers is pretty bad. And I don't blame her entirely, but I have no real frame of reference to be excited about anything she's done. However, this movie is called All These Small Moments. And my understanding is she is a small part in the film. But nonetheless, um, it's a uh, coming-of-age story that Sean expects me to love. And I'm very excited to see. Um, and it also has uh, Molly Ringwald in it, Corey. Um, oh, does she play the mom? I am fairly confident that yes, yes, she does. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's a movie I just had got wind of, and it, it just released. Um, it's officially a 2018 movie, but it, it did just release uh, recently. So I'm looking forward to checking it out. And uh, I challenged him this week. So I'm watching the, the new Suspiria and all these small moments. He is watching um, Teen Wolf 2. Ooh. as my bad pick because I think it has an 18 like Rotten Tomato and um, as much as I love uh, Jason Bateman that sequel is pretty brutal um, and then I picked uh, for the good movie for this week I picked The Apartment from uh, 1960 that stars Jack Lemmon and is fantastic it's a movie that I watched I think last year 
and absolutely adored. Uh, it's a Billy Wilder film, um, and so those are my recommendations for him. So we'll watch those, and then we'll get together and talk about our opinions. Um, the following week, he picked for me, Hedwig. Uh, I'm sorry, no, I picked for him. I should say the good movies: Hedwig and the Angry Inch that he's not seen, um, and I desperately want him to because I really love that movie. And then the the quote unquote bad movie I picked because I saw a trailer for this film called Dog Eat Dog, that stars Nicolas Cage, but Willem Dafoe as well, and I was actually kind of intrigued by Willem Dafoe in the movie. So I, I my theory was to make him watch it, and if it's good, I'll I'll watch it also, and if it's not good, um, then I will not watch it. I feel like it's not fair to make people watch movies that you haven't watched yourself. But it's based on critical rating. So it, okay, fine. It, it's it's fair, and to be fair, uh, he made me watch Fifty Shades Freed last year. Don't forget that. Um, and he didn't see it. Uh, I think he was he challenged me to it before it was out, so he had not seen it when he made me oh, see it. Oh, um, because I thought that he had seen that. He did see it, but he's he okay. again. I was tasked with seeing it before it was even out because I went opening night because of the challenge last year, and that was worse than anything. Because, I'm so sorry. Um, but so last year. Uh, my original list was not that bad for him, but then um, there was the Parkland shooting, and a lot of our movies had like some violence in it. So we opted to redo our list so that we could be more time appropriate. You know, we didn't feel like like talking about a movie that was super violent worked during that time. Um, so we redid our list, which gave me an opportunity to put a bad movie on his uh, because he'd given me Fifty Shades Freed. So I made him watch Norm of the North last year. Um, which is one of the worst animated films uh, reviewed on Rotten Tomatoes to date. At the time, it had a zero. I think it did get up to like six or seven percent. Um, but it starred Rob Schneider in the role. Oh. And I had never seen that, and I made him watch that last year. And it, he's, it's on his like worst movies of all time list. Guess how he gets to get me back, Corey? How? There's a straight to DVD sequel that just came out called Norm of the North: Keys to the Kingdom. <laughs> They, they they couldn't even get Rob Schneider to, to revoice the role. It's just like the one-up game. It is, like. so I have to watch that now. And now I'm tasked with a hard decision. Do I watch the sequel without watching the original? Or watch do I the watch sequel. The... All you need to do is go Wikipedia it or go look at IMDb. I don't feel like it's going to be a lot that you're going to need to know. Yeah, agreed. I'm not going to watch the original. But And then the good movie for the second week is We the Animals. Um, which he saw, I think, at the Florida Film Festival last year, and he's been wanting me to watch, and I've been putting off, and I'm looking forward to giving it a go. Um, and then the last two movies, because we're doing six in February, the last two we haven't announced yet, because we're basically going to wait until after we've watched the first four and see how we're feeling towards the other person before we pick the last two movies they have to watch. They hate each other, and they never talk again. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm. see, I'm I... planning on going nice and giving him two movies that I really love that he hasn't seen. I feel like I'm going to okay. get the opposite from him. Uh, <laughs> I hope that he loves Hedwig because I love Hedwig. And if anyone can tell me where to get sparkly red lipstick like that, I would love you forever because it's a dream of mine. Oh, that's awesome. So we um, th- that's going to be podcast coming out on Burke Reviews MovieCast. Um, we'll, we'll do them weekly through February. Uh, each time we'll talk about four movies, uh, two that I watched, two that he watched. Um, so that'll be fun, but also challenging because it, t- it takes up some of my other viewing time. But uh, if you're new to the show, listeners, before we get into our full review, which this week we are going to be reviewing uh, the 1988 Studio Ghibli film Grave of the Fireflies, um, which 
before seeing, and this is not necessarily my opinion, but before seeing, I have been told by multiple sources it's one of the saddest movies ever made. So we'll be getting into our full review of that later in the episode. But before we do that, we like to talk about what we've been watching. So, Corey, uh, have you seen anything since the last time we recorded one of these? Aside from Grave of the Fireflies. Mm, no, it's been a busy week. I've just been watching Nurse Jackie. But... So, since I'm not taking up a lot of time talking about movies I have seen, we need to talk about a movie I'm very excited about that I already tagged you on on Twitter because I've been waiting for this movie ah, for years. Okay. Guys, Guillermo del Toro is producing Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which, if you were a cool kid back in the day, you read the three books. There was Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, more scary stories, and then even more scary stories. And the books have amazing illustrations in them, and they're super creepy. And it was they were just anthologies of short stories based on folklore. And later on, I don't know why they would do this, because they took the heart and the soul out of these books. But later on, they um, took out those amazing drawings, and I'm forgetting the artist's oh. name right now. And they put in, like, kid drawings. And I'm like, you guys have no idea. Like, that's, you know... Like, that's so much of why we read it. So I'm enjoying seeing this poster because it does remind me a lot of that art. Uh, and it's coming out in August, so. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for anything Del Toro is attached to, even though I have not loved every single thing he's done. I, I do j tend to like his stuff. Um, some things I like more in the aftermath, too. Like Crimson Peak, I think I look back on more fondly than when I first saw it. I need to rewatch oh it, but um, I love it so much, and I just—I know it hasn't even been long enough, but I want them to put it back in theaters because I just want to see it on the big screen again. But well, it's just that could happen for sure. Um, so I had a busy month in January. Not uh, well, I had a busy month anyways. But in terms of movie watching, I watched thirty-six movies in January. Holy. I I watched at least one every day. Um, most of my double watches were from my classes because we've watched a few movies. Um, one of which I will talk about momentarily. But um, today, February 1st, when we're recording this, will be the first time in 2019 that I will not watch a movie. Um, I've had an unbelievably crazy day today. And also, I need to break the streak. Because when the streak is on, I don't want to break it. And I like earlier this week, I was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it through January without missing a movie. And then I'm going to give myself a break so I won't feel that pressure to keep it going. Because once I see a streak, it's hard to like let it go. Mm -hmm. um, and there's no reason for me not to let it go. I'm not, I wasn't doing that on purpose. It just, once I noticed that, Hey, I've done like every day so far, I'm just going to keep it going. Um, but I need to break it. So I'm not going to watch a movie today. Uh, I, I'm going to watch at least one tomorrow and I've got a busy week, so I might have to miss another day and now I'll feel okay with it. So I'm glad. But, um, this week, since we last recorded, I watched, uh, two documentaries, um, a re a couple of rewatches and then two new movies that I was really excited to get to see. So, um, the documentary I watched, the first one, was called Perfect Bid, uh, The Contestant Who Knew Too Much. Have you heard of this documentary, Corey? Mm -mm. Oh, is this the one about, is it The Price is Right, and he, like, yes. memorizes all the prize worth? Like Over time, yeah, over time he, he sees the patterns, and he's, it's, he's touted as a math genius in the uh, description. I don't, I feel like genius might be too liberal of a term there, but... Um, it is a very compelling documentary. What I, I didn't know this when I started watching it. I actually just randomly came across this on Amazon and I was like, yeah, that sounds interesting. And it's, it was short. I think it's like an hour and 10 minutes or something. Oh. Um, and it's got like interviews with Bob Barker. So like, it's a legit documentary. Um, and, uh, I, I did find it actually really compelling. Um, and a couple of little interesting things. Uh, one, 
that the Orlando Film Festival, which is a smaller film festival that's usually in the fall, um, this gave this documentary the uh, Best Documentary Award or something, I guess, maybe last year or the year before. And I thought that was interesting because I've not been to that particular one. I go to the Florida Film Festival, which is in Orlando, but I've not been to the Orlando Film Festival. And so I thought it was cool that that was like in their description on IMDb is like uh, Orlando Film Festival winner. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, two is there's an episode of How I Met Your Mother where Barney goes on and plays The Price is Right. Um, and he does almost what this guy does, right? Like he, he gets, he nails all the, the numbers almost exactly. And he wins both showcases, which is, Dang. I think has never happened before. Um, so I, I'm watching this documentary. I'm like, oh, this must be why How I Met Your Mother did that episode. Come to find out that the real life version where the guy wins the double showcase what? was in 2008. The episode of How I Met Your Mother was in 2007, <clears throat> meaning it guessed that it was going to happen. And that was cool. I was like, oh, snap. How I Met Your Mother actually pre-guessed that this was going to occur. And that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, it's a really cool documentary. Um, if you have any interest or if you ever watch Price is Right, um, I think it's uh, pretty compelling. Uh, it's it's not they try to make it feel like it's like a almost like a true crime like where you're gonna like unveil some secret but it's it's not there but it 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 fits like it's it is kind of intriguing and there is a little bit of controversy but it's entertaining um and it's short uh so the next night i I watched another documentary i watched uh euro dreams of sushi this is one i had been wanting to watch for a while uh you clearly have heard of it um it's about this uh sushi chef in japan um, who is very minimalistic, actually. Uh, that was one of the, the things about his sushi I was so shocked by. I was expecting to see, like, crazy rolls I've never heard of before. But most of his sushi is just the rice with the fish on top of it. Um, but it's, like, seasoned and marinated, and, um, like, they put a sauce on the different ones. Like, it's very elegant, and it's crazy. He, he has a small little restaurant, 10 seats. That's all there are. Holy heck. But it's one of the best, like, sushi restaurants in the world. Has won the Michelin uh, Prize, three-star prize, like, multiple times. And, like, you have to reserve a spot at his restaurant a month in advance. That's not as bad as I was expecting with that few seats. Well, month in advance, 30,000 yen per meal. I don't know what that is. So, I had to do a calculation because I also don't know the transfer rate. About 274 bucks U.S., per meal um so like the way it works is you pay for a experience so you don't pick off a menu he makes the sushi puts it on your plate you get about 20 pieces of sushi for the 250 bucks so it's about 12 bucks a piece which depending on what fish and whatnot you're getting that's not too far off but um it is that high end so super high quality really uh beautiful cinematography very compelling stories and it's an insight into a culture that um, I'm a big fan of sushi, but I, I knew very little about some of the uh, the history of it and some of the uh, the issues with overfishing as a result of the trend in sushi oh. because it's such a worldwide phenomenon now, um, and it's trendy to eat sushi. So the fish are getting, you know, they're going extinct if we aren't careful. But um, it's a really cool doc. I liked it a lot. Um, I rewatched The Lobster, ironically, the next night on Monday. Um, I hadn't seen it since 2015. And whoa. I saw it in the theater twice in 2015, so I hadn't watched it since. Um, but I didn't realize Olivia Coleman, who is uh, nominated for Best Actress for The Favorite, is the hotel manager. Oh, yeah. I, I like, completely blanked that, that it was her. 
Um, and then Jesse Barden, who's in a film called The New Romantic that I keep praising and keep getting trying to get people to watch. Um, she is uh, the nosebleed girl. And I was just like, well, look at that. I had There are two people that I'm really familiar with that I didn't realize I saw them in The Lobster first. Um, but still love that movie. I had a great time watching it. Um, I watched the new The Kid Who Would Be King. Uh, my daughter and I went to see that in the theater. Uh, we both really liked it, especially young Merlin. The actor who plays him is so great. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's not quite like to the level of Harry Potter, but it's got the same kind of vibe, like adventure, 80s style kids movie. But it's not um, it's not set in the 80s. It's set now. But it, it was really enjoyable. A lot of fun with it. Um, definitely one I recommend, especially for families. It's really, really good. Uh, Wednesday night, I watched Grave of the Fireflies. We won't talk about that just yet. And yesterday, I finished watching Moonlight uh, for the, I don't know, the third or fourth time. Um, but I watched it with my Film 2 class, which I think I mentioned last week we were going to be watching it. Um, I was really, uh, my students really took, most of them really took to the film, really found the characters compelling and uh, were really, really hooked, as, as was I watching it for a third time. But then, after watching Moonlight, I went and saw Marshahala Ali's uh, new film, Green Book, finally. Um, that has not been in my area, so I hadn't been able to see it. Um, I had been able to drive out the 45 minutes to Orlando to check it out. It finally came close enough where I was able to go. And I kind of, I went in hoping I wasn't going to love it. Because Why? there's a lot of controversy about the, uh, the, the, race, the racial overtones and the kind of white savior trope of your main character is essentially teaching the black character how to be black at one point. Um, and so there's a lot of like racial issues. And then uh, Dr. Um, I'm going to forget his name. Dr. The character's name. Uh, well, I can't think of his name. But Dr. starts with an S. I'm going to find it. Hang on. It's Dr. Shirley. Um, his estate has been disputing some of the facts around this film. Um, but despite those things, I couldn't get past the uh, the amazing acting from Viggo Mortensen and Marsha Ali. And uh, I had a really good time watching this movie, um, despite knowing that people are upset about certain elements of it. And I don't disagree with some of those complaints. But man, Viggo Mortensen is so freaking great. And so is Marsha Ali. Like they, they're so charming. There's, they have so much chemistry. Um, and I know that it's, it's problematic, but man, I, I had a good time watching that movie. So I didn't know a, I think that I, and I don't know, commented on your story or something on Instagram. I didn't know that you hadn't seen it yet. I saw it at the flicks a couple months ago. I really enjoyed it. I didn't know that there was controversy around it. I did know that it was up for a bunch of like nominations mm -hmm. and all kinds of things, but I really enjoyed it. I uh... well, so Matt, Matt, from what I watched tonight, also really enjoyed it, and Sean also really enjoyed it. So, and again, it has a really high like meta score. So, like, I think the overall critical community is high on it, um, but there are it's it's you know, people who are detracting. And apparently I am, I listen to a lot of them and I follow a lot of them, um, on like Twitter and Instagram and stuff. Cause I've seen a lot of, and again, a lot of the points are valid, but it's, and that's where I'm at. Like a kind of a, a crossroads with it is like, I, I know that there are issues, but it, you know, it doesn't mean it's not engaging and entertaining. And, and it like, there is an element like, I, I don't want to spoil that movie because it is still relatively... It's new enough where a lot of people haven't had a chance to see it. 
Um, but there's, there are elements of it that I think are positive, even if they have like negative implications. Um, I don't know if that's the right way to say it without spoiling, explaining what I mean, but yeah, I, it, it's a very enjoyable film and it is P- Peter Farrelly, um, I believe is the right name who did like Dumb and Dumber and there's something about Mary. Um, and it, honestly, it's probably one of his smarter movies by comparison, um, especially compared to those particular two. Uh, although those may be more straight comedies, I would say Green Book is very much a comedy, but um, the caliber of acting and even like the uh, the period setting just looks fan- The car they're I, in looks fantastic. I think that it's... I, uh, so after I saw the movie, I live in Idaho. I live in Boise. I won't live outside of Boise. Whatever. But um, <laughs> I thought... It wasn't that long ago, and I think that people forget that, and I ended up reading a really interesting article that a um, someone who's lived locally for a very long time wrote, where he like did all this digging to find the Green Book for Idaho, and like just seeing how it relates to where you are, and where like he didn't think that his home state would be like that, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think that because I didn't, I've never heard of the Green Book. Me either. Actually, I was like, I didn't know what why the movie was called that <clears throat> until they showed the Green Book to Viggo Mortensen in the film. I was like, oh, like I mean, can you even imagine? And they and they talk about. I'm gonna say this because it's his his it's history. It's real. Um, you true. There. Uh, sorry. No, I said true. That's all. That um, there were sundown towns where you couldn't even be in town or outside mm-hmm. after dark if you were black. And, like, just reading this article for here and, fi- like, hearing about these local towns and stuff, it just, like, blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I didn't know Dr. Shirley was uh, – he was born in Florida, actually. What? Um, yeah, which apparently his label had uh, – well, okay, I'm basing my facts on a website that I've found to be very accurate. There's a website called History versus Hollywood that they mm. take any um, they take most true story based films and they give you like one they'll do like a side by side of the uh, uh, actor and then the uh, the actual person, but then they get into like the common like frequently asked questions um, and will break down like the truth and fact and they usually cite like books and sources of where they're getting their facts from. So I've I've grown to trust them um, almost explicitly. I didn't read much of theirs but i read just a few things uh and one of them was that they the label for a while was pushing that he was from jamaica um but truth was pensacola florida was where he was actually born um and learned to play the piano before and he does mention i think in the movie that he was in florida like he was he was born in florida or something like that i i feel like he mentioned it but i knew that fact before he said it so i think that's why i I caught it um because it was like in passing it was just one of those like quick references um but yeah, it's like a cool website. Yeah, it's really awesome. Um, Hollywood versus history. I don't know how. It seems like I'm the only one who ever talks about them in my circle of movie people. But I've, um, I forget which movie I found it first. I think it might have been uh, the Tom Cruise movie, um, where he played the CIA drug smuggler guy, um, American something. I can't remember what it's called. American Made. That's what it's called. Um, I think that was the first time I found that website, and then I've used it over and over again. Anytime I watch a movie that is uh, that I believe to be based on truth, I will Google the movie title with history versus Hollywood, and it 
almost always pops up. I think there's only been one or two that um, were newer, and it didn't. They hadn't done it yet. But like Green Books, because I think the popularity of the film, especially after the Golden Globe nominations and wins, that uh, it's on there. So um, yeah, if you ever watch something like that and you want to know the true facts, or at least a version of the truth, I say check out that site. Um, but that's what I've been watching. Because like I said, I didn't watch anything today. Uh, so I think we're ready to move into our <clears throat> review, our first movie from the 90 minutes or less theme of February 2019, Grave of the Fireflies from 1988, which something uh, Corey and I both have been trying to watch more Studio Ghibli films. Um, we've, we're not doing a great job at that, but we've been trying for a while now. Um, I mean, we've knocked off a few. We've, we watched My Neighbor Totoro. Uh, I watched Spirited Away before... I still think, and then this, I think that's still it. Um, I still, I own Howl's Moving Castle, haven't watched it. I own Princess Mononoke, haven't watched it. Nasca of the Valley of the Wind, I own, haven't watched it. And I got one more up there, I think. I can't think of what it is, but um, there's one more I for sure have that I've not watched. So I need to, to knock those out. But um, this one is not directed by Hisao, uh, I always butcher his name, but this one is instead is directed by Isao Takahata. And I'm sure I butchered that as well, but I think I did better than uh, the guy who's founded Studio Ghibli in his name. I just can never get out, uh, so I'm not even trying here. But Grave of the Fireflies, um, a young boy and his little sister struggle to survive in Japan during World War II. Um, that premise is very subtle there and uh, pretty much says, hey, this movie's going to be sad um, with just that information. But um, I don't. it definitely does not prepare for uh, the overall premise but um Corey, what what were your thoughts without spoilers for grave of the fireflies god i'm gonna sound heartless i thought that maybe it was because it was animated it just wasn't especially after hearing that it's like the saddest movie ever and then it just i don't know like i don't want to say that the subject matter isn't very sad it is very sad and i always enjoy to see like i don't want to say necessarily opposing viewpoints but i mean i guess it is i mean i'm an american i don't know the japanese point of view on that yes you know so mm -hmm. i was very interested in that um i don't know i just um are you saying you didn't like it or it just wasn't I, as sad as you thought it would be it was okay <laughs> i mean it wasn't that sad. I mean, like, okay, so the story is sad. It's a sad story. It's yes. during the war and people are dying. But I don't think that they did a good job, like, driving home those emotions. And like I said, I thought because it, it was because it was an a animated movie. But, y'all, I can cry any Pixar movie. Um, I cried during, yeah. you know, there are so many that I cried during mm -hmm. that it, it's not that. So I'm not really sure what it is. Well, Corey... Let me tell yeah. you, I cannot believe that you could sit here on my show. Yeah. That is really our show. But for, for this, you do all the technical stuff. For this bit, it needs to be my show. So I can't believe you oh, could God, come I... on my show and say such cruel things that are almost exactly how I felt when I watched it. Thank um, you. I was like, I can't, I can't imagine that you would feel differently than me because I, some... You know, I don't know if it's because it was overhyped for us because we were told by multiple parties that this was like the saddest movie ever. They, they didn't even seem that sad in the movie. Well, okay, it's it's a horribly sad story. Like I, I am not debating 
whether or not the idea of the story is sad. It is, because as the thing notes, it's two kids, one very young, and one, I feel like the boy is 15 at least, but I'm not sure. Do you have any thoughts on age? Like, Well, I mean, so many times during the story, he's told that he can go to war and he can support his country. So I figure he, I mean, this was a long time ago, I figure he must be 16 or maybe a little older. Yeah, uh, that was, uh, so, I don't want to, like, a lot of my issues, why I think, why I personally think it didn't click for me, I, w I won't say here, because it's it could be considered a spoiler, um, but, like, I, th I think we can talk about the beginning of the film, because it starts sad, and that could also be part of the problem, is it starts so sad, that maybe, like, you're just downhill, and so you're never really invested, because, we meet our two main characters, the two kids, and I'm going to probably butcher their names, but I think it's Seta. Uh, um, Seta and Setsuko. Seta. Thank you, because I am horrible at pronouncing names. Uh, I, I even just forgot what you just said. Setsuko and what? Setsuko and well, Seta. Seta. So Seta's the boy, and we, we meet him dying at a train station in Japan. Um, he, he dies. And one, people are way too okay with dead kids in the in the train station, which I there's a lot of them. So obviously, it's it's just a way of life after World War II that kids are dying, um, and it's it's horrific. Um, he drops something. A guy picks it up and he tosses it out, and when it falls, it opens, um, and fireflies and a little girl show up. And it's as soon as she's she's about to kind of panic, and then the kid we just saw die. Seda is standing there not not dead and definitely looking way better than he did moments before meaning he's a ghost so now we are confirmed little girl boy dead this is not a spoiler this is the beginning of the movie this is how the film starts and then like we're two gonna, minutes yeah two minutes in you witness a child die of starvation and neglect and then a can that he was holding is thrown to the side and a little ghost girl comes out of it and now Ghost Boy and Ghost Girl are reunited. Now, we don't know that they're reunited technically, but it's, I would say it's pretty, again, if you read the premise, you're going to put it together that they're, they're siblings. So now you get like two stories, the ghost traveling and then them going through up until the point we just witnessed, essentially. And so it starts excessively sad. I don't know that I've ever seen a movie start with a, our main character dying and then us getting a flashback of that point, especially if that main character is a kid. I'm sure there's somewhere a movie that does that, but nothing's coming to mind. And so that's not why I, and again, I, I do appreciate this film. I think the story is compelling and it, it's not, um, I never felt like it was over long, uh, but I do have some issues, but they're not like with the film itself. Like I don't necessarily think the film should have done something different. I think it's like why the film isn't one that I would want to rewatch or why I'm not going to sit here and say it's the best animated film I've ever seen. And also why I think it's why I can't say it's the saddest one I've ever seen. Um, but that is going to be for spoilers. So unless Corey, you have anything else you want to add, I say we move to spoilers. Yes. So guys, from here on out, we are going to talk about Grave of the Fireflies in great detail. <sighs> You've been warned. So for me, I don't think the boy did enough to save them. And that's why I'm not sad. Like, I was more mad than sad. Because 
like while they were dealt a horrible hand you know and there's some really horrific imagery in this film that definitely will stick with me forever the mom being dead and like when they lift her up like the maggots are falling off of her cartoon maggots cartoon maggots holy cow you know Mm. but so and then the ant is a total awful person like i have multiple times in my notes where i'm just cursing at the ant like i just wrote mean things at the ant like how can you be that cold to two children who you know their mother's dead like how can you do that and i i won't get past that i will not however she's in rice yes i don't think the boy does enough one i we can't promise he could have got work but there's no evidence that he tried to get work you know um and maybe he was afraid to leave the little girl alone but i don't think that Money was the problem, though, because he withdrew all of that money from his mom's bank account. They had enough money, but food was being rationed. It was partially, but they were being frugal with the money. Like, because he, he waited to withdraw that last 3000 until they were okay. almost dead. So he was he was doing, I think, like expecting his dad to come home, trying to save money so they wouldn't be completely poor. Um, so I do think the money was an issue to a degree. But not as much as, like, I think they could have been eating a little better. Um, again, it was, food was being rationed. There were there were food shortages. But, I like, we were told at least twice that he had family somewhere else. And his solution was, I don't know where they are. And I get that. And this is obviously, this is in the 1940s. There's no internet. There's no quick way to find relatives. There's no Facebook. I am aware of that. However, if your two choices are stay and die or leave and try to find someone who will help us. I feel like he made a bad choice. And I don't know. I obviously am not in that situation. But it made me not be as empathetic towards the character. And I think that's why the emotions didn't hit me as hard. I was more frustrated with him. Because I'm like, dude, do something. you got to be able to do more. Like, I don't see you doing... Because there were multiple shots of them just chilling. Yeah, that's and true. That that I'm like, no, dude, you're not doing enough. Cause there was a rash on her early when they went to the beach. She's already showing signs of neglect. So that when she gets so sick, she's dying, and he's trying to fix it. I'm like, dude, this there were signs, man. Like, and again, he's a kid. I get that, but I can't let it go. Like, it was frustrating me. Maybe it's because I am a parent. And I'm like, dude, I hope to God if something happened to me and Kathy that Taylor would be smarter than hanging out in her bedroom for seven days. Like, you know, like that was what was upsetting me. Also, he didn't really have a support net, you know, like the only family he had close by. And if you don't know where your family is and they're being like they're being bombed and everything else, it can't be that safe to travel out in the open. You're right. But again, it wasn't safe to stay either. And, like, the other thing, and I I agree with you, and the one thing I want to point out, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying this is how I felt and why I don't think the movie clicked for me. But here's the thing, though, with that. I don't know enough about Japanese culture now, much less during World War II, to know, like, how their maybe orphanage system would have worked if that existed, um, if it would have been worse for them in an orphanage. I can't imagine it could have been worse than them dying um, of of starvation if they had gone into the system. And there was a mention, um, the farmer told the kid he needed to get back in the system. And I completely agree with the farmer. But 
I, I didn't see anything in this movie, nor do I have the cultural context to know if the system would have been worse for him. If, if him apologizing to the horrible aunt, and she was horrible, I am not debating that at all, but it's one of those things, like the lesser of two evils, death or swallowing your pride and apologizing to the aunt. You know what I mean? Like, that's the wrong choice. I'm sorry. Because it wasn't like, she's awful. She treated them badly. She had them sell their mother's kimono and then took half the rice. You're right. You are completely right. Yet, she did not beat them or... She didn't feed them well, but she didn't not... That's a double negative. She fed them still. And again, let's we're looking at the end result being both of them dead. It's hard to argue. Now, I, I can't remember if it was implied if the ant died or not. I feel like their house might have burnt down in one of the fire, uh, the, the air raids, but I don't know if that was ever definitive or not. So, um, nonetheless, uh, there is a lot of good in this movie. Again, these are why I didn't, I don't think it hit me as hard as I was expecting that. And because I think I was expecting to be hit hard. Um, I may have steeled my heart so I wouldn't be devastated. Cause again, the, oh, I can't do that. the idea of this movie is sad two children die as a result of neglect because of situations put upon them during world war two um is very hard and honestly like the thing that bothered me more and i've never really thought i've actually thought about this a lot in recent time like pearl harbor horrible horrible that it happened but i don't know and i haven't done this uh i i'm not a history person like i am i am very bad with history um, I struggle to like my sense of time is it's hard for me to wrap my head around like the, the space of like five years for war or one year for war like all of that so I, I tend to not know as much about history as I wish I did I know we dropped two nuclear bombs on Japan I don't know if Hiroshima and Nagasaki were military towns or if they were just villages in Japan and I think that makes a huge difference um and that's what this movie really hit hard for me was watching what appeared to just be villages being bombed um because it did not seem like there was a strong military presence at all in either of the cities that we witnessed being bombed and that's disturbing um on a big way for me um now it's an animated cartoon i don't know how accurate the depiction of the bombings would have been um, or if there was any truth to that at all as far as how that went. But the idea that we would bomb, like, villages that weren't military bases is troublesome to me. And that made me really think about, like, Hiroshima and Nagasaki of were they military towns or not. And um, how much worse it is that we dropped nuclear bombs. Because I understand... Cities. So, regular cities, like civilians uh, yeah it says over the japanese cities of hiroshima and nagasaki and that's i was fairly confident that was true but that as a kid when i was in history oh. classes oh um this is just wikipedia but um two bombings kill the two bombings killed 129,000 to 226,000 people most of whom were civilians yeah that bothers me on a level that i never realized i could feel um and i, I it didn't click with me as a kid um, when we learned about the bombings in history class, that they weren't soldiers um, that were killed. And, like, that's 
that's devastating uh, so much. And especially, I guess, you know, life is precious and I do value it. Um, and war is horrible. Like, I, I don't agree with war. I do agree with stopping atrocities. You know, the, what the Nazis were doing was an atrocity. It needed to end. I, I don't doubt that. I have no issue with that. And I know that our bombing of these two countries made Japan surrender and ultimately won the war. But it's still horrific to hear those numbers and then the connection that they weren't soldiers that we bombed. That we didn't kill other soldiers, we killed civilians. And that's ultimately what led to the stopping of the war. And seeing this movie, they depict it that way, that we were bombing cities. And that's scary to me. Like... I mean, imagine, like, I, I always kind of, like, we live in, you know, Florida. There's no major political elements here. I mean, we do have, you know, we have our state offices and stuff, but there's no, we're not Washington, D.C., um, or we're not a major super city like New York or L.A. or Chicago. I mean, Orlando's a big city, but it's mainly not Americans. It's mainly tourists. Um, some Americans, but it's tourists from all over the world in Orlando. So I've never really thought about us being attacked, but imagine like if you're just like you know shopping at the mall and all of a sudden bombs are being dropped on your, your roof that's not something we've ever had to experience uh, with the exception of terrorist attacks you know what i mean like every war we've been in has been on foreign soil with the exception of the civil war and predating the u.s and the revolutionary war um mister so, i don't know much about history <laughs> and, and i'm no i'm no expert mind you um but it is think... it's scary to think about it is, and I think that we are, I don't want to say very lucky, but I get really angry when people talk about uh, refugees and immigrants and stuff, and it's like, you, we have no idea. Yeah. Like, I don't worry about my house being invaded. You know what I mean? Like, there are just so many things that we don't yeah. have to worry about. Yeah, no. Like, it just blows my mind. I, I, I don't know. We're lucky in that aspect, but... Yeah. And, and again, I, I'm not... I don't know enough about war to say if other options were weighed or, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I know my limitations in this subject, and I'm not trying to say America was wrong, although it's hard for me to, to say that killing of people who were not a part of a war, directly or indirectly, feels wrong. Whether or yeah. not there's, you know, again, there may have been decisions and things behind the scenes that I don't understand, and that I'm not professing to know. Um, and I am being a little politically... I'm trying to be fair Sensitive. here. Yes, because uh, again, I am not in a position where I can sit here and make bold claims, but the idea of killing, uh, taking the life, not not just one or two, and even that I think is wrong, but we're talking hundreds of thousands in an instant who weren't directly involved in the fighting and probably had maybe... Maybe they all hated America at the time. I don't know. Um... I know that there are depictions of that, but I still feel like most of that is from our own point of view, and we don't know necessarily. I definitely don't, because I was not alive at the time. But this movie, like you mentioned at the top of the podcast, that it shows a perspective that we were not maybe ever even thinking of, you know? Like, why would we? Why would we put ourselves in the shoes of someone from, you know, 40 years before we were born and, and think about something? Because... It's we're so far removed. The relationship with Japan now is so different. I've never really thought about it. So, again, 
while I have my issues with this film, and and again, it's not really with the filmmaking or the storytelling. It's like me not getting why this character is letting this happen to his sister. Um, I I still take a lot from this movie, and I do think it's it's expertly crafted. It's exactly what you expect from a Studio Ghibli film. The animation's really strong, and it is touching. It just wasn't as touching as I had anticipated. Um, I I thought I'd be bawling at the end of the film. I thought, yeah, that's what I was expecting. And I shed not one tear. Um, which of course then made me feel a little guilty too, because I'm like, what's wrong with me? You know, because I've cried at freaking stupid movies that I should. I feel like I shouldn't cry at. Uh, the ding, the dog is the dog's uh, home too, or whatever the. The re rec, the reincarnation dog movie that's got a sequel coming out. The stupid trailer for that makes me tear up because it's. I, I don't even like the movie idea. I think it's horrible that it's coming out, but it's still a sad movie about a dog it's that dogs. dies a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why are they killing us with dogs? So like, it's hard not to like choke up a little, but yeah. Um, I I was I was disappointed. But again, I still think this is like a well-crafted film and I am not in any way like insulting this movie or saying nobody should watch this. But it's definitely not one that I, I would think I would revisit. Um, unless I got... If if I end up doing some research, which may have been prompted because of this movie, and it and my interest is peaked, I might rewatch it if I have... If I feel like I have new eyes. Um, you know, if like I have a revelation about World War II or, the, or what, what it was to live in Japan during World War II... I might go back to it then, um, but otherwise, it's not one that I think will be. It's not one of the Studio Ghibli fan, films that I would like want to rewatch myself. Like I love Spirited Away. I'll, I'll rewatch that almost any time. And My Neighbor Totoro, actually, kind of the same thing. Like that movie is just pure joy. Um, and great. I, I love the look of those both the of those films. The cat bus. What? The cat bus <laughs> is so great. Um, <laughs> they have a stuffed one at Hot Topic. Um, what? Yes. <laughs> It's like it's really expensive and it's not very big. It's like twenty five bucks and it's like, holy heck, you know, less than a foot. Like, but it's really cool. Um, it has a little Totoro that comes out of it too. But um, okay, that's rad. Yeah. Uh, but um, do you have anything else to say? I know I kind of ended up going on a rant there for a minute, but uh, this movie has made me feel things that I wasn't ready to to deal with. I don't think. I guess. Uh, <laughs> so, do you have anything else you wanted to, to discuss about the film or uh, your thoughts on it? no then um i guess it's time for rating um i'll go first to take a little pressure off of you um despite it not being what i had hoped i still think it's a very well crafted film um so i'm gonna go not quite golden um pony boy uh again it's not one i think i will necessarily be rewatching, but i do own it um so you know uh i do have that opportunity if i ever choose to it is also listener it's available on hulu both in the subtitle and dub versions um so yeah it's it's out there if you want to give it a watch if you didn't um beforehand i'm gonna go a decent watch and i think that's fair too um i i don't our our rating system is designed to be very much based on our our own feelings about the film um with no criticism uh of necess- necessary of the quality of the film it's basically our own feelings about it and how we would look to it so I totally get that and have no issues. Um, I'm a little, I was a little disappointed, but again, it, only because it had been hyped up to me so, so much, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, listeners, sometimes it's better to not. Uh, I say always, it's always better to go in with no expectations, one way or the other, for a film. Let the film speak for itself. 
Um, I went in, I think I said multiple times before I watched it that this is supposed to be the saddest movie ever. And again, it, you can't deny it's a sad idea. Children dying is never going to be not sad, which is a good thing. But um, I hope that it all worked out. With I used too many double negatives in that sentence. But you know what I mean? Like, children dying is sad, period. So, um, yeah, it like, like you, I didn't connect. Or I, I kind of disconnected from the, the boy because I kind of blame him. I really do. Like, the circumstances were bad. And I don't know that he could have save them i just feel like he could have done more and that's what i was really bothered with i feel like i'm uh billy madison when he's here's the book about the the dog it's like you get your ass up and you look for that effing dog that's i'm like you your sister's dying you get your butt up and you find something to save her like you're not doing enough well i Um, mean he tried to steal vegetables i mean yeah but it was like too little too late like at that point she was dying like all everything he does is when it's so late into it you know, um, I do want to say this because I think that it, like, I, in my history book in, I think, 10th grade, there's a photo and it talks about how money had no worth during the Great Depression yeah. and that a woman's basket full of money, they, or I think, I can't remember what it was full of, but they dumped out whatever was in, in it and they stole the basket because money had no value and like there's a part where he's trying to buy extra vegetables or something from one of the farmers and the farmer won't yeah. sell because he might need it and they don't know about the rations and stuff so i think that i always say i have nothing else to say and then i like remember something yeah and well you're right on because um he basically says the money like the money is only valuable if somebody is willing to need it but if there's no currency i mean like paper money is representative of something else and if if all of a sudden it has no value it's just paper again and um food will become the currency i mean before money existed barter system was the norm and so if you had 10 cows and i had 10 like 10 sheep you might be willing to trade me a cow for like two sheep or something right but if all i have is paper and you can't eat that um, and nobody else wants that it's no good um i mean it's like anything else because we like I, I collect pop vinyls and i'm like oh this one's worth 90 bucks it's only worth 90 bucks if i can find someone to give me 90 bucks yeah so it's the same idea and um and, i mean that's still true like if if people stopped eating at mcdonald's when the prices went up to eight dollars for a value meal eventually they would either go out of business or lower the prices again hoping we would come back and the catch is we keep eating there because it's still cheaper than almost everywhere else. But that's the reality is if we stop spending money, they either have to lower their prices or they go out of business. Um, yeah, it's exactly. So at that point, it makes perfect sense what you're saying. And again, I am not saying if he had got a job, that was the solution. But I still feel like we saw him not doing things more than he was doing things. And I think he could have done more even before he got kicked out of the ancestors because that was part of her thing it was like dude what are you when are you going to contribute and i don't disagree with her but i just saw her blind patriotism she kept telling him to go off to war to go support his country and stuff and i'm like that sounded I'm also like thinking he's a I, kid my thing with that was her just trying to get rid of him and that bothered me and i do think he was concerned that if he left his sister <laughs> with her 
that the sister would be neglected. I, I did get that vibe. So, again, I don't completely hate him or anything like that. I just feel like he could have done a little more. And it, it may not have saved them, but at least I would have felt like he did everything in his power to save them. And now I feel like he waited too long to try to save them. And while this, their deaths are still sad, it's lessened to me because I'm frustrated with him not doing everything he could have. Um, and I get it. He was grieving too. Like I am, I, I can, I can be sympathetic and also still the, the logical mind that I tend to be. And that's where I'm at is my logic beat my pathos completely. And I'm just not, uh, I'm not convinced he did everything he could have done. And that upsets me and makes me not, again, I still didn't want him to die. Like, don't get me, I'm not sitting here like he didn't do enough. Good thing he died. That's what you just said. That's not what I just said. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I, I I just wish that the I'd felt a bigger connection to the main character or not a disconnection from them. Because um, again, I I've, uh, the little girl like I felt really bad for her, and she was she was obviously yes. Uh, at times she tested his patience and the crying, but I just feel like he could have done a little more, and maybe maybe they would have made it. And again, maybe not. Maybe that's the lesson. Maybe it was hopeless. But. Um, I don't like to believe that life is hopeless, no matter how much it might look like it. Um, I th- I think that we're also very lucky we haven't been in those situations. For sure, yeah, I definitely can't connect with that on that level either. I've I cannot be in their shoes uh, for a multitude of reasons. I mean, one, as I mentioned, we've never been the we've never been in direct combat in our homeland. Um, the, we have been under attack, but it, it was always very isolated, one attack at a time. And, you know, it was never a constant bombardment. Um, so j- that alone we can't relate to. But then even at the time period, um, we haven't lived through a true depression. Like, we're in a depression or recession. But it's not it's not like the Great Depression or what they were going through where our money still has value as of now. There's not enough of it for most of us, but it still has value. Um, so, yes, I, you're completely right. I can't truly relate. And maybe that's the other catch is that... I was frustrated, and I can't put myself completely into his shoes in the first place. So my frustration won. But I mean, you you didn't cry either. So you know, like don't don't. No, I no, I'm not like giving you heck for it. I'm just saying that, like I said, they just didn't do a good job conveying emotion to me. Like it just didn't hit me at all. But I'm I think that it's just really hard for us I, because. Of those I, things. I did think the scene, the, uh, I guess it's not technically a burial, but the cremation sequence with him mm-hmm. and her was very sad. Um, still not as emotionally weighted as I could have, I would have thought, but I also still think I was so disconnected from the character that I didn't feel what he should, what I should have, I should be feeling what he's feeling, and I don't think I, I was. Um, which that could be what you're saying is that the conveying of emotions wasn't there or something, but. Well, I think that does it for our our talk on Grave of the Fireflies. Really good um, now. <laughs> yeah, we will. Yeah, we did do that. We haven't done that in a while, where we say we're done and then keep talking. But it's always me. Uh, well, Sorry. no, it's it's perfectly fine, and um, that's it's. There's no set time on the podcast, but uh, we're gonna continue with our ninety minutes or less theme next week, and we're gonna be watching uh, for my first time, and I think Corey, you might be in the same um, phone booth. 
um, which is a film that I initially had written off when it came out. I thought it sounded kind of cheesy, um, but I've heard some good things since then, and so that's why I picked it. That and the lead actor, Colin Farrell, who I've become a huge, huge fan of um, over the years. Uh, it has a 7.1 IMDb user score, but only 56 meta score. Um, but the runtime is at an hour and 21 minutes, um, right within our, our nice. 90 minutes or less. It stars, uh, as I mentioned, Colin Farrell, Kiefer Sutherland, Forrest Whitaker, uh, Rada Mitchell, Katie Holmes, I did not realize was in this. But you know what upsets me, Corey? What? The director. <laughs> Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher shows up again on our podcast. <laughs> um, he was the director of Phantom of the Opera, which we watched last year. Oh, no. I'm so bad with director names unless I, like, absolutely love them. I'm yeah. so bad, and I just don't connect. And Joel Schumacher is also most notorious for uh, the Batman and Robin debacle uh, with George Clooney <laughs> as Batman and the Bat Nipples. And uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze and Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. Um, and that's just the one movie. And we could also... I happen to be a advocate for Batman Forever, um, but it's more of, like, nostalgia reasons than actually defending a movie that is probably you not know, very good. I don't really know how popular it is, but I, I enjoy St. Elmo's Fire. I enjoy it. I know you don't with The Lost Boys. Flatliners. I mean, I don't like you know, the Lost Boys. I did like Flat Flatliners, don't. which that means though that you mentioned Flatliners. That is three of his movies we've done on this podcast. Once we complete Phone Booth, because we did a Flatliners one in year one, I believe, when the other Flatliners oh. was coming out. And um, he did The Client, which I haven't seen The Client in a really long time. But yeah. as a kid, I think I liked good. that as a kid as well. Um, which is a weird thing to say. You wouldn't. Oh, I've never seen Eight Millimeter, but I've heard weird things about that movie. Um, apparently he's just hit or miss though. Uh, and so I'm hoping this is a hit, um, because again, <laughs> Nicholas Cage in it. I love Colin Farrell. Um, yeah, it does. But that was when he was like at his, he hadn't completely gone off the deep end. Um, okay. and you know, I, I like Colin Farrell a lot, so I'm just really hoping, man, I've seen more of his movies than I realized. I've seen Bad Company. Um, and then I just, there was just a time to I mean, kill. He has a big you know he has a big filmography he does and he's all over the place and he's even done some music videos apparently um yeah. falling down is a, a actually solid michael douglas film yeah so he's up and down um and i did like the original flatliners uh when we watched it oh Kiefer. i feel like lost boys is like you have to have liked it when you were a kid because it's it's pretty bad like dialogue wise stop like, it right now it's come on the dialogue's so cheesy oh. um it really is uh Oh, man. Um, but Kiefer Sutherland's in, in this, too, so that's a, a connection from Lost Boys. Yes. But, and um, Flatliners. Oh, and Flatliners. That's right. Um, that's what we're going to be watching next week. I don't believe it's available currently on anything uh, for free, but you can definitely watch it um, with a combination of renting or, or buying it. I bought the DVD fairly cheap from Amazon. I think it was like 8 bucks or something. Um, so it's, it's, it's out there if you want to watch it with us. Uh, if you've already seen it, of course, you can also reach out to us. You can leave a voicemail for us on anchor.fm.com. Uh, if you use that app to listen to the show, you can actually call the show, leave a voicemail, tell us your thoughts about the film, maybe end up on the episode. Um, you can also reach out to us on sh social media. I am at Burke Reviews and Corey. At Corey R Star, two R's on the end. 
And what were you about to say? <laughs> I was going to say that maybe uh, people always misspell my first name because they don't spell it correctly. And it's just C-O-R-E-Y. Ah, the that right could way. be. That's right. Yes. The right way. There's a, a variety of ways to spell the name Corey. Uh, traditionally, I think people would say your name is the more masculine spelling. But that doesn't mean anything Thanks, in 2019, Mom. guys. It, you know, everything can be masculine or, or feminine now. So it's whatever it needs to be. But um, you can read my reviews uh, at BerkReviews.com. And this week, Corey also posted her uh, Netflix comings and going for the month of February. So if you haven't been keeping up with that, um, you can definitely check that out. And I do want to give a shout out. A big movie dropped today on Netflix that I have not watched yet, but I'm hoping to get to see this week. And that's The Velvet Buzzsaw. Um, the new Jake Gyllenhaal film that is directed by the same guy who did Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, if you haven't seen the trailer for it, it's pretty crazy. The reviews are very mixed from what I've seen so far, um, but I am still planning on watching it, uh, which doesn't always happen for Netflix originals. It did debut at Sundance, um, but now it's already out for us to watch on Netflix. Um, so that is, a, I guess, a last-minute recommendation. Um, if you like the show, please rate and review us. It helps us to get new listeners. And uh, I'm hoping to go to Tribeca here in a few months and i will be i am considering doing a crowdsource thing to try to help pay for the trip um so if that's something you got some extra money and you're willing to uh, help send me to new york so i can watch movies and tell you if they're good or bad uh i would be super grateful um i'll more about that will be coming to the site so if you keep track of that that'll be awesome um but until next time folks keep watching movies this has been a Burke reviews podcast Bookreviews.com Do you like movies? Do you like podcasts? Or are you just lonely? If the answer is yes, and even if it's not, then check out the What I Watch Tonight Show's filmtastic selection of podcasts covering the entire movieverse as something for everyone. So come check it out. More details at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk or from all good podcast providers.